Spiritual fruit. It's the topic of much of the New Testament, of course, Jesus' teachings as well. In, uh, in fact, in John 15, Jesus said this, He said, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Our lives are all about production and growth in the Lord. But who produces the fruit? Is it us or is it God? Do we have to go out and make the fruit on our own or can we just sit back and wait for it to appear all by itself? Well, neither of those things is true. The Christian life is all about producing the fruits of righteousness and godliness and those fruits come directly and only from the Lord Himself. However, He has given us the responsibility to tend the garden of our lives so that fruit is cultivated and protected and then used for His glory. We are instrumental in allowing God to accomplish His good pleasure in and through our lives. As we talked about much yes, uh, last week, it is a partnership that we uh, partake in together. That's what we're finding in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul wants us to know that God plans a life of full production for His people. And he's not talking about wealth or prestige or power. No, and instead he's talking about what really matters. A life lived for heaven as we continue on our journey toward heaven. And Paul explains to us that we have been filled with all sorts of heavenly assets so that we can live a life that glorifies and praises the Lord. And God has planted spiritual seeds in us as believers that he is now growing and maturing so that he can bring out fruit and fullness and we get to partner with Him in that work. So that's the situation. However, we also discover that we have other seeds planted in our hearts. Seeds of sin, seeds of godlessness, seeds of selfish ambition, seeds of worldliness. We're full of those things. And as Christians, we have to deal with the fact that on this side of eternity, there are godly seeds in our lives and there are fleshly seeds taking root in our hearts. And what we want is to be full of God's fruit and clear of the production of sin and sinfulness. So how do we get there? There's some really wonderful practical insights in the next verses of chapter 1 of Philippians, beginning in verse 8 this morning. We read this. Paul says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so the Apostle very plainly reminds us that one day we are going to stand before Jesus Christ in eternity. Our lives are then going to be evaluated and reviewed and judged. That which is godly will survive and it will be rewarded. That which is not godly is going to be burned away. Those things will be unrewarded because they did not glorify God or accomplish His plan while we were here on the earth. And Paul looks at the Philippians, and, and by extension, he, he's looking at you and me, and he says, I want you to be full on that day. When you're standing before the Lord in, in that moment when you've been made complete in Jesus Christ, I want you to be full. I want you to be purified. I want you to be glorified before the Lord. And on our way to eternity, God graciously gives us opportunity and equipping and empowering to do the things that are going to glorify Him and, and to do things that will invest in His kingdom. And so if that's what we want, if we share that desire with the Apostle Paul, and we do, then we have a couple of applications this morning. First, in verse 8, we read this, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge 
and all discernment. The section starts, uh, t- starts out talking about our love lives. Not our romantic love lives, but our agape love. Paul was really being very personal and very candid in this letter. That's something that we'll pick up on, you know, I think almost each week. He was expressing his biblical, godly, compassionate love that he had for Philippians. And right now, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of, I don't know if you guys know this, but it's popular in certain circles in the church right now for Christian men to take on this sort of, you know, overly macho, non-emotional, you know, cage fighter persona. That's something that's kind of circulating around right now. There are certain pastors and teachers who act like it's wrong for a man to be tender or emotional or kind because that's not manly. And, um, you know, you'll see interviews or you'll hear sermons about how wrong it is, for example, for a man to sing that he loves Jesus. And that you shouldn't sing any songs where it says, you know, Jesus, I'm in love with you because that's not how a man is supposed to talk. And, um, you know, while also being gracious, I, you know, I just have to say that that teaching is not biblical. Not everyone has to be a burly muscle man. Not everyone has to be a weepy emo kid. That you know, they don't have to. Yeah, God has fashioned. God has fashioned each of us to be a little bit different. I mean, even think about the different Bible characters. You know, you got, you know, guys like James, and you got guys like Jacob who are like crying all the time. You know, and it's kind of a mama's boy, as J. Vernon McGee would say. You know, some guys are going to be a little more emotional and some are going to be a little bit less. That's fine. It's fine to have a spectrum of, you know, personality. We don't all have to adopt the same characteristics or personality. But if we look at a specific thing, if we disdain or are offended by a heart of compassion, a heart of affection, a heart of tenderness, then we're going to have some problems as Christian men. Because right here, Paul says, you know what? I have affection for you guys, godly biblical affection. Uh, And my prayer is that your love would abound more and more. Not your toughness, not your manliness, not your hairiness, but their love. That's what he wanted to abound more and more primarily. And speaking from the original language, Paul is saying that his prayer was that their agape love, and our love as well, would super abound in an excessive amount. I mean, this is a very over-the-top statement that he's making. Because when God looks down on our lives as individuals and looks down on the church, and if he sees love in our lives, if he sees compassion in our lives, if he sees mercy in our lives and grace in our lives, then he is pleased. When he sees discompassion, when he sees a lack of mercy, when he sees a lack of grace, God is not pleased. Jesus Christ said this, John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so primarily, if we want to get to the point where we will stand before the Lord full and complete in his grace, a life that matters, then the best start is in our love for the people around us. We need to develop a godly biblical love for others. Again, this is agape love, which is unconditional and which is eternal The love that Christ has for us is this agape love, a love that is willing to die for an enemy and to forgive and to extend affection and compassion. To reject that idea and to say that it's not manly to have, you know, affectionate love for the people around us is to reject the foundational teaching of Jesus Christ. And so if we think it isn't manly to have affection or compassion, then we can take it up with Jesus. And so if you hear people talking about that or see interviews, and you will from time to time, you know, that, that just isn't biblical. 
But how do we cultivate agape love in the spiritual garden of our hearts? How do we partner with God to grow it in our lives? He's providing the fruit, but we can help maintain him and grow that fruit as well. well. First, we cultivate love by asking for it. You know, We cultivate love by choosing to look at people the way that God sees them, whether they be unbelievers who are on their way to an eternity in hell or whether they be other Christians who are our, our brothers and sisters who the Lord loves and cares about. You know, So first... We ask the Lord, hey, Lord, give me more love for the people around me. And second, we try to look at people and not see them with our own eyes, but we see them with the mindset of heaven and the view that God is looking at them. Because God is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The reason that we are saved from sin is love. And therefore, the primary cultivation that we should be working towards in our life is cultivating love for others. And it's something that we can all work on today simply by asking the Lord for it. Next, Paul spoke to them about knowledge and discernment. Knowledge means the precise, correct understanding of divine things. And throughout this epistle, we're finding that how we interact with people is very, very important in our spiritual lives. But it isn't more important than what we believe. Yes, Paul wanted their love to superabound, but then he immediately said, I also want your knowledge and discernment to superabound. And so how we treat people is not more important than what we believe or necessarily vice versa. The two go hand in hand. They are paired together inseparably. Here's a quick example. In God's word, you are commanded to love your wife. You can't biblically love your wife if you don't have the correct understanding of what biblical godly love is. And vice versa. If you have the kind of understanding that God wants you to have about what love is, then the result must be action and sacrifice and application of those things. That's the deal. So Paul calls uh, us to a godly life full of love, but we must also have a proper knowledge of the things that God has called us to. You know, and he, We must have a proper knowledge of God's revelation. A precise and correct knowledge is essential to our lives, and it is essential to spiritual growth. James 1.22. This is from New Living Translation. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says Otherwise, you are fooling yourselves. And so there's this pairing together of what we believe and then how we act. You can't separate one from the other. You can't say, well, what I believe is the only important thing. It doesn't really matter how I treat people. Or vice versa. All that matters is that I treat people you know, with respect and doctrine doesn't really matter. That, you, you don't find that teaching in the Bible. You find that both of those things matter. Precise knowledge, which results in action, is what the Lord has delivered to us in His Word and by His Spirit. Third thing Paul mentioned is discernment. Perhaps your version says judgment. That's fine. This has two parts and two applications for us. First, we're called to discernment to know what to do in any given situation. Today, tomorrow, you know, next week. What are we going to do in any given situation? God has provided us His Holy Spirit for guidance and for direction. Therefore, in any situation, the Spirit can give us heavenly discernment to know what to do, what to say, how to respond. Sometimes the Spirit is going to direct us to walk by a person, and sometimes the Spirit is going to direct us to stop and engage that person, like the you know, paralytic outside of the temple gates. That's how we are to go about life, walking by faith, but in a confidence that the Holy Spirit is leading me right now, today. What I'm doing, the Holy Spirit's leading me, and so I can walk by faith because I'm not just closing my eyes and walking around and hoping I don't bump into anything. The second application of this discernment trait is to know what is right. It's to know what is true. Discernment in weighing out what we're hearing, what we're reading, what we're you know, listening to, and determining whether it is really scriptural or if it is not scriptural. 
Just being a good Berean is what we call it often here you know, at Calvary. Being a man who is willing to pause and to think critically before simply accepting something or accepting someone that we are told is godly. You know. Paul's desire for the Christian was that our discernment would grow and abound in our lives so that we would more and more know what to do and what is true. That's what the discernment was about. The way that we cultivate a fullness of discernment is, again, to simply ask for it. Again and again, the Bible tells us, hey, if you want wisdom, just ask for it. The Lord wants to give you wisdom, to pray for direction. But also, we need to meet that desire for wisdom with action. This is what we see again and again in Philippians. We have a desire to do spiritual things. We have a desire to be the spiritual man. And we need to meet that desire with personal action. We have to choose to make decisions only after we've heard from God. We need to be familiar with the scriptures so that we can measure out the things that we're hearing. When we hear a Bible study, where we hear you know, somebody say this, or when somebody gives us a book that they want us to read, you know, measuring out those things based off of the word of God, which we're familiar with. That's how we partner with God in bringing forth discernment in our lives. Paul then goes on in verse 10 and he says this, So that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. We are meant to praise God. We're meant to glorify God. We're meant to be a testimony for God. But if we refuse to garden in our spiritual lives, then the level of that fruit production is going to be drastically limited. And so along the way in our text, Paul is giving us these ways to cultivate, cultivate spiritual fruit, to cultivate godly love, to cultivate prayer and grace in our lives as much uh, and much more, because we're going to see those things. But Paul's saying, look, if you want to stand in the Lord complete, if you want to have a life that matters, these are the things that you can aim towards. This is what you should focus your attention on. But we're also told here that we need to not only be doing positive things, you know, loving others and you know, doing discernment and all that stuff, but we also need to be purifying our lives, Paul says, that we might be blameless before the Lord. We do that, we purify our lives by hearing from the Spirit, who's going to give us discernment, and uh, by hearing from the Bible, which gives us God's revelation and His measure for the things which are true and not true, and then by rejecting those things which are not godly. We're told that we can be sure that we're not limiting fruit production by removing sin from our hearts. Paul says that he wants us to stand before the Lord on that day pure and blameless and complete, and therefore we should pursue those things in our lives. If we don't care about being holy, if we don't care about being pure, if we don't care about being blameless in this life, then there's a problem. There's a problem in our faith. There's a problem in our relationship with the Lord. Because what we do in this life matters. And that's something that we need to take away from this epistle, is that what I do in this life matters. This life is going to be evaluated by Jesus Christ one day, and there are only two categories that things can fall into. Something that lasts and is rewarded, or something that burns away and is waste. James 1 so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God which has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Again, that idea of God doing a planting and then we do a work to bring forth that fruit with him. When Kelly and I first moved into our house, we had a pretty sizable garden in back. One of the things we learned was that, uh, that a lot of gardening is about protecting what's planted, keeping pests away from destroying new fruit, clearing out weeds because they'll suck off the water and the you know, resources from the plant. They'll keep the plant from being healthy, those sorts of things. If we wanted to have a tomato at the end of the season, there was a lot more than dropping a seed and then just having wishful thinking. Oh, well, you know, there's sunlight, you know, there's some natural water every now and then, and so I hope it grows and produces a tomato for us. 
You and I have everything that we need to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, dynamic, fruitful Christians. That's what we see in the Bible and that's what is true. And that is what Jesus wants for us as well. He wants us to superabound more and more and more. He wants to reward. He wants to complete. He wants to fill. He wants to do that work in us. But he gives us a free will to allow him to do that work or not. And so the question is this. Is today going to burn away before the Lord that when we stand before him? Or is today going to be rewarded? Will this 16th of June be worthwhile or will it be wasted when we get to eternity? Because the Spirit of God is within us to guide us. He's within us to direct us and empower us to bring forth godly fruit. And then we've been given God's Word which says, okay, here's what you need to focus on. Here are the things you need to do. Here's how you treat the people around you. Here's how you draw nearer to the Lord so that the Lord will accomplish His work in your life. And we have been given the ability to remove sin and to develop those activities and characteristics that will be rewarded one day. Not only that, but we're given the tools necessary to help other people come to heaven with us. So we're given all this stuff and then we're just presented with a choice. And if we jettison love from our lives, if we ignore the Spirit's direction in our lives, if we believe anything we hear from anyone who says it to us, then a lot of weeds are going to grow in our garden and the spiritual man isn't going to be healthy. A lot of fruit is going to be wasted. And so today, it's the 16th of June, it's going to be reviewed by the Lord one day, and we need to hit the garden and make sure that we're protecting fruit, developing fruit, and doing what the Lord wants us to do.